1: You're
2: listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show.
3: All right, welcome in, Hornets fans, Queen City Hoop readers, Port Channel 8 fans. This is episode 52 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, we've got a lot to get into today. Trade deadline is now less than two weeks away on February the 8th. Uh, Kimba obviously has been... Involved in a lot of trade talks, we'll cover that. We'll cover last week, Hornets action, a heartbreaking loss to Miami Heat, wins against Sacramento and Atlanta, cellar dwellers, and then a tough loss to New Orleans on Wednesday night. So we're going to get into all of that and then much more. So stick with us. Uh, it's just myself and, uh, and BG, Brian Geisinger today. Richie, uh, a well-earned week off here. He's really the brains of this operation. I've said that before, but that no is important so, uh, so he's going to take the week off, spend some time with family. Um, and don't forget about our friends over at Sports Channel 8, a big day of ACC basketball. Uh, Virginia travels to Durham to play Duke, and BG is State at Carolina or Carolina at State? One or the other.
2: State is, that, is in Chapel Hill taking on UNC, a, uh, a house of horrors, the Dean Dome has been for the Wolfpack, <laughs> as the uh, cliche yeah. would like to describe it.
3: Yeah, between uh, between NC State and Clemson, they pretty much got it uh, covered with how not to win in Chapel Hill. So uh, so a few big games in the ACC today. Stay with Sports Channel 8 for all of your ACC basketball coverage at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter and then SportsChannel8.com. They got you covered there. All right, BG, uh, you want to jump right in here? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. Um, let's start with just going through a few of the games uh recently here for the Hornets. I guess the natural place to start is last Saturday night against Miami, a game in really which the Hornets controlled um pretty much from start to finish. I mean led most of that game and just watched it uh just fall out of their fingertips when uh James Johnson scores five points in like three seconds or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't see that live, but um did watch the replay, a heartbreaking loss for Shaw and kind of sums up their season. Um, you know, with less than thirty seconds left, James Johnson uh, makes a three, uh, pressures the inbounds, Nick Batum catches it, kind of in the corner, left corner area, in the back court, Johnson takes it from him. Uh was it Johnson that took it Richardson from him? Richardson, was Josh uh, Richardson. Richardson. Yeah. Richardson took it from him, threw it back to Johnson, who nailed the three. Um, just an awful sequence for Charlotte, and they go on to lose that game. Um, Clifford had some interesting comments after that one, BG, pretty much saying that it, it was on the Hornets. You know, they had the scout on guys like Wayne Ellington uh, and had the scout on plays that Miami tried to run down uh, the stretch there. Uh, he spoke about Kelly Olynyk specifically. Hornets lost him in the second half. He got Miami back in the game. But mm-hmm. Clifford was pretty adamant that it was all on the team uh, for losing that game.
2: Yeah, I, I mean... I thought the third quarter where they scored 35 points was some of the best basketball Charlotte's played all season against a good Miami team that's in the midst of a great run, although they had a pretty bad loss to Sacramento earlier this week, but the Hornets were so darn good in that third quarter, and then to just play the way they did down the stretch, getting outscored by 11 in the fourth quarter, and to cough that game up the last minute, I mean, I looked this up on Unpredictable later that night. The Hornets had a 99.1% chance of winning that game when they were up after the James Johnson turnover and they were up 105 100 and they had the ball I mean do you know how unlikely it is not only to a lose that game but to lose it in regulation I mean it's just it's it's so rare it's it's literally one in a thousand you know what I mean like it's just it's not it was such a strange way to end the game and um just a deflating loss in front of a you know a good crowd on a Saturday night in in uptown and they've got to turn around and play the heat later tonight on the second night of a back to back. good luck with that. But I thought Wayne Ellington was once again incredible in this game. I mean some of the shots he hit for Miami with MKG just draped all over him. They were they were amazing. And um yeah, it's it's tough to really put into words what happened down the stretch, but you know, he just They had a great third quarter. They pulled Miami to 16. They scored 35. That's some of the best two way basketball you'll see the Hornets play all season. No surprise that Kemba Walker played every second of that third quarter, too. And then to just ralph it up down the stretch like that, and especially the way the last 60 seconds, last 50 seconds played out, it's just sort of the story of the season.
3: Yeah, it it was a heartbreaker. Um, An interesting note Miami ran a play that Golden State has pretty much perfected, and they've stolen down basketball lineage to stay back to, to high school. Uh, a little play that you run your wing, really you start your two wings at the baseline on one run to the corner, he gets the ball there, and then really it's like a back screen at the opposite elbow area um, for usually the power forward, which in this case was James Johnson. He he zooms down to the rim, pass comes from the corner, it's an easy layup or dunk, so that's really what first basket was, and then Richardson gets the steal in the corner, throws it back to Johnson for the three, and then the last <laughs> crazy sequence, is the Dwight Howard foul, Kelly O'Lennock in the open floor. O if I remember correctly, it was just a grab and go situation. Yeah. You know, he grabs defensive rebound, takes off down the floor, which he is very good at. Um and that's thought I personally thought he was out of control. I, I don't but at the same time I don't know why Howard needs to really need to reach in that situation. I mean again, Lenox out of control. I don't I don't know what he's gonna do. He's gonna heave one up at the rim at the buzzer basically. Um, you know if Howard just stays on his hip and doesn't feel the need to reach down uh, and and cause the foul there
2: I thought it was surprising like Miami had a timeout I'm almost certain and and they just chose Spo just trusted his guys to go up there and and get a shot and they they sort of got lucked out because the foul was blown with what 0.2 seconds left in the game (laughs) sort of unbelievable but this I thought was a great game too for Nick Batum unfortunately it was sort of just lost because, I mean, he takes, he gets to the free throw line 10 times, but it'll just be totally forgotten about because of the way Charlotte collapsed down the stretch. And I've also got to, you know, make note of just how amazing Wayne Ellington has been for the heat this year. Like you said, you and I were texting about this after the game. Is he one of the five best shooting guards in the NBA this season? Like he might Mm be, he's definitely in the top 10. It's not even close. Um, And I mean, they run that play. They ran that play multiple times for him. That's like, it's him yeah. coming off two, like, like a staggered pin downs on the weak side into a handoff with Johnson or, or Linux or whatever. I yeah. mean, they're running this guy off triple screens. It, it looks like yeah. Duke's offense from 2004 with J.J. Redick, like, just doing anything they can to get this guy open. And, uh, I mean, he's just not missing. It, it, it's
3: ridiculous. Yeah, the way he bends defenses right now, especially with the way he does not stop moving. I mean, he really is. I think you made this comparison in terms of his movement off the ball. He's like Clay Thompson. Yep. And, uh, you know, it just it doesn't stop. You know, they run those stagger pin downs uh, into a dribble handoff. They'll run horns action where, you know, he starts on one elbow and Olenek will be on the other. Johnson will, will give it to Olenek to quick you know, set a quick little pin down for Ellington. And now Olenek and and uh and Ellington are in a dribble handoff situation, which is horrifying for any defense. I mean yep. Olinick you know, and you pointed this out yesterday on your Friday column. Uh, of course, Channel 8 is, you know, Olenek's gotten really good at that little fake handoff, and then mm-hmm. he zooms to the rim. And so uh, Miami is, I mean, they're an organization, they're they're franchise bolster, their team that thinks outside the box. They're they're great at player development, and what they've done with Wayne Ellington is is nothing short of miraculous yep. um it, it's fun to watch because he plays the game the right way but it's frustrating to watch because, <laughs> i mean in a game like this where he just burned you i mean he's 10 to 15 in that in the game against charlotte last saturday six to ten from three um but again you know clifford talked about it after the game i, I mentioned his comments a minute ago you know according to him we had this guy in ellington and it was really on us a few times that gave him some good looks and he did get Brian, i thought a pretty clean look in that game yeah Especially okay. late when he'd already burned you. I mean, you gotta sell out on that guy. Uh, so going into tonight, uh, we're again we're recording this on a Saturday morning. So Charlotte will play in Miami tonight. You gotta think that's gonna be priority number one, right? Um, limiting Wayne Wayne Ellington. Um, let's see what else in this game. Just quickly want to touch. I mean, the Hornets were good offensively. Um, you know, defensively they were they were pretty good until the fourth quarter. Yeah. And that, Pretty much changed all the numbers. Um uh, didn't shoot the ball exceptionally well from outside. They are only 7 of 27, but really good from the mid-range in this game. Um, really, really good, actually. Above 50% from the mid-range in this game. Uh, Jeremy Lamb was strong. Um, Bench was pretty good in this game. So really, a, an overall pretty good performance. Nick Batum. I mean, I think that's the one probably of note performance that we need to talk about. 26 points in this game uh I don't know BG. probably his best game yeah
2: maybe? that yeah. or maybe the maybe the Portland game a few weeks ago too yeah. uh, he's probably had a, a like a handful of games where he's looked like this but you just would have liked to have seen you know a dozen or so of them uh you know as opposed to just a, you know four or five of them but yeah he was he was incredible this game and and with him I'd have to double-check, but I would be willing to bet 10 free-throw attempts is, if that's not the most he's had all season, it's got to be darn close to it.
3: Yeah, it's, it's got to be up there. I mean, he was he was superb in this game, 27.5% usage rate in this game, which is probably a little high for him, but if his is at 275 and Dwight Howard's is 115 then I'm happy. I mean, right. that's like more of what we're going for as an offense, I think. Um. Yeah, let's see, Kimba, 375 uh, usage, yeah, Batum twenty-seven and a half. I mean, that's that, that's the one-two punch that we've always pictured with these two. So it was healthy to see that. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah. Anything else? On this yeah. Just to,
2: just to finish up on Batum, twenty-six points is a season high for him, and ten free throw attempts is also a season high for him too. Right. Again, no no real surprise there though.
3: Right. Um. Alright, so then to Sacramento, uh, on Monday night, you know, obviously a game Charlotte has to have and it, it was not it was not a pretty one. Nope. Um uh, you know, I mean give the kings some credit. They they had some fight. Um, you know, they've got some players, they can fill it up. I mean, but they, <laughs> defensively they're just, they're just such a joke. And really their offensive shot selection is about as poor as I've seen in the NBA like in, in some time. With Willie Collie Stein literally <laughs> he he looks like he's just taking shots like in spite of the Sacramento Kings in certain situations being I mean, his shots. Five of questions.
2: twenty in this game. It's amazing. I mean twenty shots. I mean shots <laughs> me? <laughs> that
3: guy took were just absurd. Um so anyways, yeah. I mean, you know, when Dwight digs down to cut off Fox or, you know, Buddy Heal or name your dribble um you, you know, your penetration guy, you know, Colley Stein's open in the mid range area even at three. And he did he did chuck one three in this game actually. <laughs> um so yeah just uh, unbelievable shots selection. when that guy puts it on the floor going to the rim like he he has nothing like how, no move
2: how, how many times do you see a center attempt 20 shots have a usage rate of about 25 percent, and only take two free throws like that's how yeah. like, you know you you just you weren't at the hoop at all man like you were just it, taking terrible or, shots yeah. from the mid-range
3: or you're so out of control you're not gonna yeah get the and <laughs> and i mean that's probably sign I, I mean it, which i don't i mean i don't get it with him and really this team because he's got a fair amount of minutes at center in this game. Mm-hmm. So, like, just that screens, man. A roll of the rim. Like, you don't have to, you don't need the ball in your hand. You don't.
2: His anyway. problem is he fashions himself as Giannis, but it, like, yeah. he should be Tyson Chandler. That, that should that, be, that's what yeah. he should be doing.
3: Yeah, or like a Quinn Capella kind of tight. Exactly. Know I mean? he, doesn't, yep. he, does, he doesn't need to be this guy who's taking 20 shots after he's held the ball for three or four seconds. Like, it's just absurd. <laughs> but, Uh, The Kings are terrible, and the Hornets uh, had to work for this one. In the end, Kimba led all scores with 26. He had nine assists in this game, too. Didn't shoot it exceptionally well, but he got to the free throw line ten times, made nine of those. Um, I mean, he he pretty much got what he wanted in this game. Uh, Probably could have knocked down a few more shots. He actually made five threes, only six field goal attempts, so really bad from the mid-range and at the rim in this game for Kimba. Uh, especially considering he got a fair amount of whistles as well. Um, Dwight Howard pretty good in this game. Usage rate again, not not crazy high, under twenty percent. Nineteen and a half. Him and Batum had a pretty pretty much an equal usage rate in this game. Howard with fourteen point sixteen rebounds. Um, made six of his nine free throws. Okay, that's that's good. I mean that that's what we want from Howard pretty much right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvin Williams continued to shoot the ball great. Jeremy Lamb was really good in this game. Uh, he really. Carried the bench unit, 18 points, uh, 3 of 6 from behind the arc, 7 of 12 from deep. So, um, Hornets got what they needed, but there was just no energy in this game. I mean, that that was really my one note. They, I just didn't feel like they had an extra gear um, in many sequences. BG kind of seemed like they were going through the motions, which is, you know, I kind of get it with this team, but at the same time, it's, it's disappointing, especially against an opponent like Sacramento.
2: Yeah, I think this is one of those games where, you could tell they missed Michael, Michael K. Gilchrist. He he didn't play this game. Trevian Graham got the start. And he's he's certainly an energy guy too. But, um, you know, MKG is as fiery of a competitor as you'll find in the league. And I, I thought his presence was sort of, like, I don't think he would have solved this team's overall energy issues. It, we're in the, it's, it's this, this team is w- way out of the playoff scenario. Well, not way out, but they're out of the playoff scenario right now. It's the doldrums of the season. So I can totally get, you know you being especially coming off that miami game maybe not being your most uh festive team environment but i, I think that's where you really miss michael kick gopris i was kind of hoping trevi and graham who's had a, a marvelous season um in, in as we've documented in a variety of different ways but i think he only got up three shots this game this would have been a fun game to see him go out there and score 12 15 points on a handful of shots and hit some threes and just didn't really quite happen unfortunately for him. Uh this was a weirdly high turnover game for Charlotte. Uh, mm-hmm. 15 turnovers against the Kings defense. I mean that's that's it's
3: it, uh, yeah, yeah
2: it's just that's on that's on Charlotte, you know. And especially after they have only eight the night before or two nights before against uh Miami. You talked about Jeremy Lamb. I thought Jeremy Lamb was incredible this game. And this is I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this. Like, this is everything you've hoped for with Jeremy Lamb. Um, This is a guy that takes a lot of mid-range shots. And even though he's a pretty good mid-range shooter, you can make the case he takes too many. I mean, 48% of his field goal attempts come from the mid-range. Now, he shoots a good number on those, 43%. But this game was cool because he takes 12 shots, and only two are from the mid-range. And one of those, a foot was in the lane, too. So there's only, he took out of his 12 attempts only one shot was a mid range attempt between the three point line and outside the lane, which I thought was big. He goes four of four on field goal attempts at the hoop and is three of six from deep. Right. I mean, that is just that ratio of that is perfect. Like that's the money ball Jeremy Lamb performance you wish you could see from him literally every night. And this guy's just had he's had an amazing season. I think he's had some tough moments against Pelkins couple nights ago and friday night against the hawks but he stayed aggressive both games and he should feel confident after the sacramento game because he looked like i mean that's what above average offensive wings look like in the NBA. like that's how they play they're fishing at the rim they hit a high percentage of their three-pointers i mean 50 percent of this guy's attempts come from beyond the arc in this game and he makes half of those that's huge right and right. um you know we, we can maybe touch on this a little bit more later in the podcast but just This guy, as his evolution keeps happening, and, you know, we think people are probably starting to notice more outside of Charlotte, like the realistic possibility of this guy being a trade ship. You know, we we don't like the thought of of Kemba Walker being moved, right? But if you could get something for Jeremy Lamb, now that's something that you can sell to the fan base a little bit more, even though I think he's very well-liked within the sort of, like, online Hornets community. I love watching Jeremy Lamb play, and I think a lot of people wish he would start um, and I'm not just using a straw, man. I mean, I've seen that argument all season long. Um, but this guy is shooting 41% out of the pick and roll this year, uh, over four points per game out of the pick and roll, which is a pretty good number, especially for a backup wing. As a right. cutter, shooting 80% from the field, 1.73 points per possession on cuts. He doesn't cut often. You know, it's not MKG. But once or twice a game, he'll smoke somebody back door. And, I mean, he's four out of five times he's finishing at the hoop. So, I think, depending on what the price is, he's one of those guys, and you and I have heard, at least I can say, I've heard nothing, both locally or nationally, this guy is like a trade possibility. Yeah. Um, so, maybe I'm just blowing smoke, but he is one of those guys, if you're in need of a wing, um, and a team we're about to talk about, the Pelicans, uh, you know, before DeMarcus Cousins went down, they're a team that I think would have loved to have looked at a guy like Jeremy Lamb to help them out. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, don't know how, I don't know what that possibility looks like now. But Jeremy Lamb against the Kings, just incredible in that game.
3: Yeah, I think this is also the game where he <laughs> he was out there with Kaminsky. And so we've talked about a lot on the show before about how important it is for Jeremy Lamb shooting the three-point shot is to catch and shoot, not, not like a rhythm dribble. He's not that kind of shooter. Uh, so there's a scrambling defender. Lamb caught it. I think it might have been healed. So Lamb throws it to Kaminsky, who's like standing next to him or close to him. He would, runs over to Kaminsky. Nobody runs out to Lamb. So Kaminsky throws it back to Lamb, and then Lamb chucked it. It yeah. was like, "Here, take this and throw it right back, so I don't have to like take a dribble before I shoot it." <laughs> <laughs> it was like, "Okay, good. No, you, you're understanding too. This is what we want." So, um, it, it was a good, it was a funny sequence I thought from Lamb. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, New Orleans was exactly the team that I've been thinking about. I mean, they need a wing who can score and. To create off the dribble and, and just do a lot of different things off their bench. I mean, Lamb might even be able to start there. He probably yeah. could. Um, and now, you know, DeMarcus Cousins out for the year uh, last night. I mean, just brutal for them. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. It, 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 I, I don't know. I don't know how that deal would work because New Orleans like Charlotte a team trying to get off some, some bad right. contracts with Magenta and um, Oshik. and Yeah, and Ashik. But, like, all of a sudden one of those guys probably has Play.
2: yeah I, uh, it, yeah yeah um, and we got we did get an Osh exciting uh, in Charlotte yeah, the other it, yeah, night yeah in draw, yep, yeah yep, in um uh, one other thought about this game for the Hornets too, just um from the free throw line a great shooting performance 20 of 25 80 percent and they go 16 of 40 on threes that's the most threes they've attempted in a game this season that's the most makes they've had in a game this season too so I, I think you and I have talked about this a couple times before but just How big of a barometer it is for this team when they can get up more than 33 pointers. And if they can shoot close to 40, you know, somewhere between 35 to 40%, and if they have a low turnover game, like that, that recipe keeps the Hornets in the game a lot. I'll just like that's how they win most of the time. But it's just tough for them to get up that number of attempts.
3: Yes. Um, that, I mean, that's a great sign for Charlotte. A lot attributed, obviously, to probably how easily it is to go by right. Sacramento and the dribble and kick it out. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. still, it's true. I, mean, I, I mentioned it on Twitter the other day. Regardless, it's a good sign. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. All right.
2: One, one last okay, so, thing. Yeah, 38% of Charlotte's field goal attempts in this game are above the break threes. That's the, the yeah. most they've had all season. 42% of their field goal attempts are threes. That's the most they've had all season. And like you said, this was a good game for the bench, too. Um the bench five with Kemba was terrific. So Kemba, Johnny O'Brien, Lamb, Kaminsky, Michael Carter Williams, in seven minutes they scored uh one point two points per possession. And they allow Sacramento to only score sixty two points per one hundred possessions for a net rating of you know, close to fifty eight points per one hundred possessions. An outstanding run with Kemba with that second line.
3: No doubt. No doubt. So uh, and, and those above the break threes, I mean, when the Hornets are getting uh, an above average number of, the, of those up, I mean, that also tells you they're playing in transition mm-hmm. more. A lot of yep. those are trailer threes, Marvin, Kaminsky. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a good sign for Charlotte. No doubt. All right, let's get to this New Orleans game on Wednesday night. You know, it felt like a game, a big opportunity for the Hornets. Um, just one of those better playoff teams that the Hornets, you know, they got to find a way to get wins over these kind of teams. They can't just feed on the cellar dwellers, but kind of what they've done in, these, in January is they're seven and four. You know, they just haven't beat anybody that impressive, at least not consistently. It's, it's been a lot of two wins, one loss, three wins, one loss. So New Orleans wins this one, 101 uh, 96. This was just a slog, um, you know, very sloppy game. Charlotte, uh, offensive efficiency of 94.1 in this game. Uh, it would be 12, 12th percentile in the league. New Orleans wasn't much better, but this game was just not very, Not very fun to watch. Um, You know, again, I think New Orleans, they muck up the game. They just do. They don't don't play extremely hard defensively. But, you know, when you have Anthony Davis, who can clean stuff up around the rim, and, you know, they play with active hands. They don't move their feet. But New Orleans created a lot of turnovers, especially early in this game, by just slapping at the ball. And the the refs were not calling fouls early. I mean, you know, three or four sequences in the first quarter there were you know, we go by A. somebody, goes by AD or Bogey or Rondo, and it's a clear path to the rim, and somebody reaches in and slaps the ball I mean, it's just they have traits of a lazy defense, but they have athletes and they have links um, that can make up for that. And they were able to a lot of times in this game. Um, too much Dwight Howard for me in this game. Usage rate was lower than maybe the eye test would have suggested to me, about 22%. Um, but just you know he, he just and you knew it you know going to a game with demarcus cousins and anthony davis demarcus obviously spent the most time guarding him but like those two were going to have a dick measuring contest i mean it's yeah. just like inevitable you right. know like with those two personalities they're they're going to go at each other uh you know it's going to be a lot of wasted possessions and it's going to slog and muck up the game and it inevitably did why howard finished 22 points and 16 rebounds. Good stat line. Uh, 9 of 16 from the floor. Uh, but again, I just feel like, you know, he's getting as many touches, post touches as he did in this game. I just feel like it, it is at the detriment to, to, to the offense, you know, the larger yeah. picture, bigger picture of the offense. Uh, Kemba scores 20 in this game, um, pulls down five rebounds, dishes out seven assists. He was eight of 20 from the floor, three of seven from deep, only gets to the foul line. Two in this game, so really a bad sign. The Hornets didn't get there, but well, Frank got there a lot. And we'll get to Frank in a little bit on this one, which is pretty hilarious. But, um, but yeah, Kimba just not able. Just didn't get any whistles too. I mean, good grief Uh, he felt like he got to the rim a fair amount, but uh, he was not getting the benefit of the doubt <laughs> from the officials in this game. Batum was terrible. Um, <laughs> one good game, one bad game. That's pretty much the trend with him. And then I'm sure we'll talk Frank here in a minute one of his uh, better games in a while and just the fact that most of it came against Anthony Davis just makes <laughs> makes it so funny and random but PG what do you got on this one?
2: yeah i wish i could have bet money before the game on Dwight and DeMarcus both picking up technical fouls in this game i mean like what a predictable like you ever wanna think the nba is scripted i mean obviously i don't but that <laughs> those two guys i mean it was just it was so you could just see it coming from a thousand miles away um, no no real surprise there one other thing I want to highlight are a couple things first off, I thought the defense Marvin Williams played in this game was incredible uh, he had a couple possessions where he got down in a stance onto Marcus Cousins and just wouldn't let, I mean that guy bulldozes everybody and yeah. he couldn't even get through Marvin and on a couple of those times, Trevi and Graham you know, he, he dug down from the wing and uh, at least one of them they forced a steal and a turnover but I just thought some of the possessions Marvin had defensively uh, especially against Demarcus Cousins, we're just we're just incredible, and just such a. That's how you. That's how a veteran shows leadership. You know, you can you can rah rah, you can do all that stuff too. But how about you get down in a stance and you stare down the barrel at, you know, bleeping Demarcus Cousins coming right at you? I mean, you want to talk yeah. about a freight train with the wheels falling off? Like that's that's what that is. Um, yeah. You mentioned Kemba only getting to the line just just one trip to the free throw line. That didn't come until there were 24 seconds left in this game, too. Which is just sort of, I mean, for a guy that's using this many possessions, I, I thought Kemba, I thought there were a couple times, especially I thought Drew Holiday just straight up fouled him a few times, too. I mean, you know, I think you know me. I don't like to complain about the refs all that much. I don't think this was necessarily a sterling performance from uh, the officiating crew in Charlotte. And, and I thought Kemba, you could, just see, you could just see through the television how frustrated he was. Um, yeah. I got to think at this time of the year with trade rumors swirling around him and the team underperforming that, you know, he's been on nights when his shot's not falling and he's not going to get a whistle. Like I you just feel for him because it's just like, the, you know, Kemba against the world. And it's, it's not really fair because they're just asking, they're asking this guy to do a lot. And this was really not one of his best games. Um, I mean. Looking looking around else, the hornets attempt just twenty one three pointers They make only six. those are two of the worst numbers they've had all year. Uh, they shoot fifty eight percent from the free throw line. I mean, New Orleans is a good team you know when at full strength, they beat the Rockets yeah. last night, and if you shoot like that against them. I mean, the hornets are kind of lucky that this game was so close down the stretch, and mm-hmm. especially after they only scored forty three points in the second half, um, yeah. this is a total power outage and um you know, Michael K. Kig- Michael Gilchrist scored seven points, three of three shooting, but it was like he was so invisible. I would need to pull up his usage rate because it was like he wasn't even out there. And um, yeah, tough game for the bench. Jeremy Lamb goes only four of 11. Michael Carter-Williams, 0 of 3. Trevian Graham, 0 of 2. Johnny O'Brien, 0 of 1. I mean, Frank Kaminsky, we can get into this now, I guess. He was really the one guy off the bench that gave them any sort of scoring punch. He was. Um,
3: uh... Yeah, let's—I um, want to talk about Frank right before we move on, but okay. just a few things of note. Because uh, actually, you got to watch this game and really dig in, have some good notes. Um, <laughs> Johnny O'Brien comes in for three minutes, you know, in his normal uh, substitution pattern in the first half. Has to guard DeMarcus Cousins because Gentry, and, and good for Gentry, he shouldn't. I mean, he always has one of Holiday uh, Cousins or AD mm-hmm. on the floor which Steve Clifford obviously goes cold turkey with you know with his full second unit on numerous or pretty much every game for stretch. So during this the first stretch of cold turkey second unit for Charlotte, uh J O B finds himself guarding Demarcus Cousins, like pretty much plays like J O B usually plays, like hunts his shot, like gives, you know, seventy five, eighty percent effort defensively top, and just gets like cooked by Cousins in three minutes. And I think <laughs> at least one, maybe two turnovers in three minutes, too. So he comes out, Marvin goes back in earlier than he would, uh, typically, and then J.O.B. never comes back. Yeah. So Clifford pretty much immediately said, okay, we're shrink- we're strengthening the lineup. Uh, rotation and nine guys for the rest of the game. So not not the greatest um, three minutes for Johnny O'Brien this week. No. And, and he recovered last night uh, in the Hornets' win, but wow. I mean, it's just, but that, you know, I'm sitting there watching, and I'm just like, why, like, why do you do this? yourself. Lippers. Like I, I just don't I don't understand. Like DeMarcus Cousins, he's a maddening player. Like I don't know if I'd even really want him on my team, but like what's the point of having Johnny O'Brien out there in five minutes guarding him? <laughs> Like it's not gonna end well. Yeah. So like just don't like anyways in all this talk a few weeks ago about like shrinking, you know, Silas like, yeah, we really gotta shrink the lineup. you know, we gotta we're we're only gonna play, you know, eight to nine guys, whatever it is. And like here we are, we're still playing ten guys. We're going yeah. to the straight bench unit. For like five to seven minutes a game, which is just, it's an oxymoron because you won't give Malik Monk minutes, but right. God forbid we we leave a starter on the floor at all times. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, what, what anyway, it, some of it just doesn't make sense.
2: I don't, I don't, I'm still just so confused by why it's, and it's not just Charlotte. It feels like, you know, a third or a half the coaches in the NBA, Billy Donovan's sort of like the obvious st- yeah. like study for this. Guys that just don't stagger their starters minutes the right way and then everybody tells me how how you know how hard it is to do this and it's just like for me that seems like i don't know cuz i'm not the one managing egos and stuff like that this could right. be really hard but it seems like coaching in the nba is really really difficult and it feels like staggering minutes should be one of the easier things that you have to do in your job like think right. about it before the game and decide that i'm going to make sure that i mean if Golden, Golden State can do it and it's easy for them but like they always make sure to have two of Durant, Thompson, Draymond and Steph on the court at all times. It's like if they can figure that out and it feels like everyone else should be able to do the same too. Right. Um this was another game too. The Hornets actually did decently in the in clutch offense but some some tough misses down the stretch, but the Hornets uh they're dead last in the NBA in clutch offense this season. Um, and that's after two pretty good performances, including uh, the win over the Hawks last night. But the Hornets this season in clutch situations, so last five minutes of the game, score within five points. The Hornets are just 11 of 57 on three-pointers, 19%. That's worst in the NBA. Uh, The 11 three-pointers they made in clutch situations is second to last in the NBA. Only the, the Nuggets have made fewer, and the Hornets have played 25 more minutes in clutch situations the Nuggets have this season it's Mm. just it's tough out there and in that game against the Pelicans the the Pelicans in clutch situations they shoot four of seven from the field and they get to the line eight times and that's the Hornets only got the line uh, only attempted two free throws in the five clutch minutes of that game and I think that's that was sort of the difference it's a bit reductive to say hey it came down to some possessions down the stretch because a million things go into these games. But if you want to boil it down and make it that simplistic, that's sort of what it came down to, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, no, I, I would agree. You know, the Hornets in a lot of their mistakes defensively in late game situations just feel like a little bit knuckleheaded. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, they're, it's not like they're not playing hard, but it's just, they just sometimes lose focus. Um, Nick Batum pretty much being the main culprit there, mm-hmm. but, Anyways, yeah, free throws hurt, Charlotte, also in this game, as you pointed out. Um, A few other things, you know, I thought that, well, speaking of Nick Batum's defense, he had some...
2: (laughs) He was awful this game defensively. Oh, my God. Just a joke. Just some, like,
3: brutal, like, just... It's like he's not, like, his mind is so far away from, (laughs) like, being in that gym Mm -hmm. at times. He's standing straight up. He's looking around. His mouth open. Basically, the only thing that's not happening that should be is like drools coming out of his. Back. Like there's, it's like there's nothing <laughs> going on upstairs. Right. And he, he, this is what he does defensively. He just looks so lost at times.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I mean, numerous occasions in this game. Uh, yeah. And he had to check. I guess. Each was,
2: a lot of each yeah, one more. more. Yeah.
3: Yeah, more in the second half. I mean, he got beaten up on a cut. Backdoor cut. Well, I remember Holiday on a few occasions there in the yep. second half. Just thats right through the right through the lane with Batum. Got a few, you know, chances on him defensively. I've Just yeah, I, I started and underlined it twice in my notes. Uh, yep. It's a nine. Get a chance to go watch it. Uh, nine forty-seven Mark, third quarter. Uh, yeah, he, well that's right. he got switched on to Boogie. Uh, just go watch that. Clip. <laughs> that's, that's probably like a bad. Nick Batum defensive moment, <laughs> that that goes into the top five. Yeah. Um, and then Frank. I mean, we got to talk about Frank. He was awesome in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finishes with 16 points. Again, five rebounds, four sticks on the floor. three uh, One of one from behind the arc. But Frank has got really good all of a sudden here at playing in those little pick-and-roll situations with Kemba or MCW or, or, or Batum, whoever it might be. And he pops real quick corners are getting better at getting him that ball quickly and then he's he's really punishing closeouts uh quite creative it's not like he has this burst of a first step but he wiggles by the first guy and then he can get into that little like crab dribble like back my way to the rim uh and, and you know and get something around the basket so you know i've really been impressed with frankie recently and his ability to to you know have a guy run right by him attack the closeout and keep the offense moving uh, I mean, he did that to Anthony Davis on—I don't even know how many occasions in this game.
2: Mm-hmm. He had one move. I think this was in the first quarter, certainly in the first half, where uh, he ran a little. It's—it's it's not. It's somewhere between a pick and roll and a pick and pop. and It's just sort of like he sets the screen and he sort of like rolls, side rolls, pops a little bit to the side, and they got the switch. And he either got one. He got one of the New Orleans guards, undersized guards, on him, Holiday or, or Rondo, and he just took him straight to the post and scored and got an and one. And it yeah. was like that's that's the kind of possession you wish you could always see from Frank. You know, as soon yeah. as these opponents decide to put a smaller wing defender on him, he can just go with a little bit of momentum and go to the block and get you a bucket. And yeah. that's that's the play you wish you could always see from him. Um, it feels like it, it's a little infrequent, but um,
3: well, I mean, it's like exactly what we saw against Miami in the playoff series in mm-hmm. 2015 when yeah. they tried to go small and they tried to go Winslow on him and. I mean, like, that game, what was it, game three or game four? I can't remember. I think it was game three. He just, like, took it to Winslow that whole game. And, like, this this is it. Like, we know yeah. he's cute, but, like, this is the seven-footer foot. Uh, this is the seven footer who can punish smaller lineups or smaller matchups that, that we wanted to see. And then you just don't see it very much. You mm-hmm. see it in spurts now. But, um, but, yeah, I agree with you. He is aggressive when he gets that switch, almost like Marvin, super aggressive. When he gets the smaller guy on him, he takes him straight down to the post. Uh, and is really aggressive in getting that matchup and demanding the ball, and Frank is getting better with that. And, you know, the Hornets offense that lacks some creativity with Dwight Howard. Like, that's important. You you, you need to find those matchups to take advantage of.
2: Agreed. And we talked about this play with with regard to Kelly Olenek a second ago, but he even did one of those sort of, like, fake... I can't remember which... I can't remember if it was Carter Williams or Lamb, but he sort of dribbled to them like he was going to do a handoff, and instead... He sort of like, you know, picked up, continued the dribble and turned the corner, went right around Cousins, who had basically no interest in actually like chasing him and got all the way to the rim for a layup. And again, just another like that's that's all on Frank, you know, like that's just that's him going out and getting a bucket. It it was a really, really impressive uh, and aggressive move. And it is fun to see how that that sort of that play has become sort of uh, really popular. in uh, the NBA recently, Andre Drummond's great at doing it. Uh, so is Kelly Olynyk and Frank sort of stealing one of their moves uh, the other night against uh, uh, against the Pelicans.
3: Um, the other thing that really frustrated me in this game was Michael Carter Williams and Travion Graham are still on the floor with five minutes and eleven seconds to go. Yeah, um, that's just like can't do it it. but it, it, you can't do it. Like mm-hmm. it's just inexcusable. I mean, especially with MPW, Like I don't care if you have to intentionally foul. Like Get Kimba back on the floor. You know, it's not the reason you lose this game, but it certainly didn't help. You yeah, know, Carter Williams cannot be on the floor that long. He plays 14 minutes; should have played 10. You know, you should have gotten Kimba out there earlier. This game was close. You really needed this one. Mm-hmm. Again, it just like goes into it's the same thing about like playing five guys off the bench together. Like, but at the same time, we're gonna beat our heads against the wall to make the playoffs. So these are the kind of things you can't do. Yeah. The, Like, he cannot be on the floor with five minutes to go. Yeah,
2: I agreed. And there was one other play down the stretch, too. Um, Game's tied at 92 with about three minutes left. Kemba hits a shot. Come down, Anthony Davis misses a jumper. Uh, Next possession, uh, they go to Dwight in the post, and he picks up an offensive foul. And uh, turnover, Pelicans holiday scores on layups on the next two possessions. Put the Pelicans up ninety four ninety two the ninety six ninety two, and they never gave up the lead again after that. And I just sort of thought that's one of those. I hope it doesn't look like I'm cherry picking just these sort of plays to highlight my opinions on Dwight. But it's just the guy doesn't make winning basketball plays, and that's another time where it's just an untimely offensive foul to turnover. And it's a tie game with under three minutes left. You have the ball. Kemba just made a three, like. This is now. It's time to go win, <laughs> and they come down and they turn it over because Dwight gets a charge or whatever.
3: And yeah, B- BG, look, 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 real quick. Like we're not, we're not in the business of apologizing for knowing what we're talking right, about. Right, 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 right. Like, right. like, like sorry, yeah. Like, you don't, you don't want to become a more educated fan and know what you're really watching. Then that's fine. Yeah. Like, then, then like we're not the show for you. Yeah. Right. But like you said, it Dwight Howard is not a winning basketball player. You can look at. Box, you know, box four stats from 1995 <laughs> all day if you want and, and praise this guy and vote him into the All Star game and hashtag uh, NBA vote, Dwight Howard. Yeah. Come on, Hornets fans. Everybody get on the bandwagon. Like, that's fine. But don't forget, we're 20 and 27. The offense is far worse than it has been in the past with Cody Zeller and Kimball Walker. Like, you don't want the truth, then don't look. Yeah. Okay. But, like, he is not making his team better. That's what we're talking about, period. Period. I mean, if you see something different, you're entitled to your opinion. But BG, please. Like, we don't need to, like, apologize about about what Dwight Howard really does to this team.
2: Richie and I did a buzzcast after this game. And again, I didn't think it was one of Dwight's worst performances of the season. But just the, the overall, if you're sort of, like, reading through, if you're just sort of really dialed in, just not an amazing effort on either end of the court. And, again, that, that offensive foul and turnover <laughs> with less than two, less than three minutes in the game, again, it's a bit reductive to say it comes down to just one player, one possession. But in these sorts of high leverage moments, you know, he always ends up being around the ball, and you just can't trust him.
3: Exactly right.
1: Um, you know,
3: I was going to – I'll pull it up here in a second, but we can – Talk about something else real quick. I just want to let's just get in on Dwight Howard's efficiency numbers and post up. All right,
2: <laughs> they're not good, by the way. I looked yesterday; they're not good.
3: <laughs> no, I looked last week. They were actually worse than I was expecting. But I was, let's see. Anything else on this game? I think was, we've hit
2: it all on the Pelicans game here.
3: Yeah, I think so too. All right, let's move uh to Atlanta last night. um <clears throat> Charlotte was was good offensively and offensively in this game. You know, I thought Atlanta. Really showed some fight. Um, they play like the Hawks have played for a long time under Budenholzer. You know, they spread you out. Um, they got a lot of guys that can shoot the ball, uh, which, you know, happened last night. Torian Pint hit three triples. Kent Bazemore randomly hit four triples. Uh, John Collins hit two triples. I didn't even know that was in his game.
2: No one did. I don't think he did yeah. until last night.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Exactly. He'll take the corner three. I mean, whatever. And you know what? Like, Atlanta is in a position to let him, like, go ahead and, mm-hmm. you know, chuck that up there. Like, we don't care. We're not out here to win this year. Tina Schroeder makes a three. Mike Muscala makes two threes. Tyler Dorsey knocks one down. Like, it was it was an overall team performance, and they successfully pulled Charlotte away from the basket. Uh, it made it tough defensively on them. Uh, but last night, I mean, Kim Walker, uh, really a good game. did can get to the line a ton once again. But 29 points, four rebounds, four assists, 10 of 22 from the floor, five of 10 from behind the arc, and then Nick Batum. Um, after you know one good game earlier in the week, one terrible game midweek, and now he's back to you know respectable level. It's yeah, 19 points last night, eight assists, really good. 23.5 uh, percent usage, which is a healthy number. Um, makes three triples as well. So some, some really good signs from Batum. Uh, the bench, not really much right home about there johnny o'brien had some good moments jeremy lamb was not great in this game struggled shooting the ball uh did get to the free throw line big moments though and then Marvin williams just like keeps on keeping on the guy's just shoots incredible He's the lights out of the gym right now so uh bad game for frank here and then dwight yeah dwight had a good, i mean you yep. know 18.15 rebounds Seven blocks. Good. yeah yeah seven blocks Uh, really made a difference around the rim last night Um, and 10 of 14 from the line. I mean, that's probably like, honestly, BG, and we can kind of get back on this white thing real quick. Um, If he makes, you know, he's 10 of 14 or like in the 70% Mm -hmm. range from the free throw line, like it becomes way more worth it throwing him the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it makes it a more efficient proposition, Mm -hmm. but, you know, when he's shooting 50% from the line, like he typically is, then it it makes it not worth it at all. So, um, you know, I thought he was, thought he was pretty good in this game, and his usage, uh, Dwight Howard in this game, usage 22.2%. So, Batum actually had a little higher usage in this game. So did Lamb. So did Kimba. So I think that's what you want to see.
2: Yeah, just just to touch back on this real quickly in terms of post up possessions, uh, yeah, Dwight yeah. Dwight is third in the NBA. Uh, almost seven post-up possessions per game behind only Joel Embiid and Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, two all-stars. And just ahead of Kristaps Porzingis, another all-star, 38% of Dwight's possessions are post-ups. That's number four in the NBA. Uh, he's not shooting a horrible clip on them, um, right about uh, 45%, but it's the turnovers and it's the free throws. Dwight uh, amongst guys that get at least three post-up possessions per game. Dwight is second to last in the NBA in terms of efficiency, uh, 0.76 points per possession. Only Yusuf Nurkic from Portland is worse. He has a turnover rate of better than 21% on those post-up possessions, which is the worst in the NBA. So again, it's not that he shoots a terrible number. Um, it's it's the volume and it's the turnovers, and again, it's people just being very happy to foul him, put him on the line. You know, he has a game like Atlanta the other night where he makes seventy percent of them. Well, that's not so bad. But those games, I mean, that's that's sort of an outlier performance.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, basically you spit all these numbers, <laughs> quote unquote, in advance. Yeah. Maybe we should make a T-shirt. You want to? Yeah, it would t-shirt. it? By the way, by the way, it Put took me demand.
2: ten. It took me yeah. ten seconds to look that up. So not not yeah. that not like I'm having to like go <laughs> yeah, exactly. dig through a mountain of data <laughs> to, to find those post up <laughs> numbers. They're all publicly available, and they're literally right there at the touch of a finger.
3: It just takes it just takes a long time. Yeah, right. a little bit. Um, so like, fit all those numbers you basically just mentioned, um, into your make believe algorithm here, and it basically puts Dwight Howard into like the twenty fifth. Yes. Well, 26.1 yep. percentile in post-up possession. So I don't have to think that hard. I don't really have to use brain power to figure out like that's not great. Yeah, like that would put him in the almost, almost the bottom fourth of the league in these possessions. But hey, let's let's keep giving it to him. Yeah, you know, I'm mean, we're the ones who are, are just being tough. on Right, him. You know, right, I right. Hate to be tough on a guy making 25 million dollars <laughs> a year. Maybe. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a real know. like I think that's always the like that has been the source of frustration this year for dwight is that it's not it's not just the sort of like bonehead plays that happen in in clutch situations it's that the stuff that you're paying him for a lot of money for which is the rebounds on both ends of the court the rim protection and by the way he's been blocking shots like crazy recently um over three and a half like about three and a half per game uh since the start of january and he had at seven last night against the Pelicans – or not the Pelicans, but the Hawks. All of that is great. It's that to get that, you have to give him these half dozen post-up possessions every single game. Like, to get the stuff that you're paying him money for, you got to do this. And it's, that's not just White. I mean, like, he, it, um, let's be honest. I mean, like, there are plenty of big guys that that's the case for. But it's yeah. just it's just tough because then after that game's over, I turn on the Rockets-Pelicans game, and you watch Clint Capella just run up and down and all that guy wants to do set screens and roll and get rebound block shot that's all that guy wants to do and yeah. dwight's just a little bit of a dinosaur when it comes to he still wants these post touches on the block and hey uh, i mean for if you know in on behalf of dwight the, the hornets are more than willing to give it to him too like, they, like they're happy to just give dwight the ball on the block and you know if he's asking for it and they're happy to give it to him you know you, you almost can't even you know you can't blame dwight for it uh they're, they're yeah. designing these post ups for them. So, um, but yeah, this this game against Atlanta, um, good offensive performance from the Hornets. Although, this game, you know, you're going to see that they won by double figures against a bad team. But, man, it was close in the fourth quarter. And uh, they just made some. I mean, Kent Bazemore was having an out of body experience against uh, the Hornets in this game. He was incredible. Like you said, Spencer, they spaced the court. And I thought the way uh, Bazemore and those vertical cuts. 25 feet from the ball and using handoffs I mean he was unbelievable in this game and um, mm-hmm. really impressive performance from the North Carolina native Kent Bazemore, but the Hornets really made some plays down the stretch, Kemba was huge 5 of 10 from beyond the arc um, and they said Dwight made his free throws, that was the, I mean that's huge, that's a huge deal for this team Marvin keeps doing his thing on from deep, and another game of Michael Kick-Yoker's just making plays man, like I love this guy's game when he flashes to the mid-post when teams ice trap Kemba on one side of the court. It's like an alarm goes off in his head that I gotta go help my teammate out. And he just darts to the free throw line and he's either gonna, you know, catch it and shoot, catch it and drive, or he'll look weak side for Marvin for a three, or last night he hit Dwight on a lob. And it's just like the guy just makes plays. He's just so aggressively hunts plays to make on both ends of the court. Really impressive.
3: Knows his role. It's just simple smart basketball just you know if there's an extra defender at the ball get to the middle of the floor now you're playing three on two or four on three or whatever mm-hmm. it might be I mean it's just just play, playing smart basketball and Michael K. Gilchrist is just he that he's built like that yep. I mean it's the kind of player he's always been his entire career dating back to high school he's what do you need I'll do it I yep. just want to win yeah you know and I mean and that's what that's what Steve Clifford is built in Charlotte I mean that's, um, that's how most of the guys in Charlotte are I mean Look, last thing on Dwight in this show. You want to know what why he frustrates me more than anything else is because he's not a winning player. And yeah. I know what I'm watching. I, I know what I'm looking at. Watching basketball, okay? And and I and I know what winning players look like. And he is he is pretty much the epitome, of, like empty calories when it comes to
1: yeah sky.
3: in the NBA. Like there's a collection of these guys, but he's right at the top of the list. And if you watch him and you think he's making this team better, you're just not you're not watching the game the right way. And I'm not I'm not saying you don't know what you're talking about. Or you don't yeah. have a right to an opinion, but He's just not a winning basketball player. He doesn't give the effort that it takes. He doesn't set up his teammates that have a better chance to make this offense better. Um, you know, and it, it, if it has to be a trade, if it has to be you give me this, I'll give you this, then that, that's not it's yeah. not a successful proposition. We have a guy who will strap it on, do whatever you need, just like Michael K. Gilchrist, and his name's Cody Zeller, and if he yeah. could just stay healthy, you know, we might be talking about a much different situation for the Charlotte Hornets team uh, right now end um, of last summer when they had to trade for Dwight Howard. But, you know, I, look, this is what these kind of guys, Zeller, Kimba, MKG, Marvin, like they exist because they played for Steve Clifford for a number of years now, okay? He he has instilled this mentality into them. And that that is what the Charlotte Hornets, that's what this culture really is, those type of players. Dwight Howard just doesn't fit that mold. I mean, that, I think that is the larger point. You want to get basic? You want to throw away advanced stats? You don't want to talk about all that stuff? Fine. That I'm giving it to you right now. He's not a winning player, and I just named off all the guys that are. And you know why? Because you watch the play, and they go out of their way to make plays, hustle plays, sacrifice for the team. Tell me he does the same thing. He doesn't.
2: I don't think he right. does. And, you know, I, for whatever it's worth, I know after the game, some people were tweeting at me that they saw, Dwight, you know, high five and then shaking hands with some of the Hawks players and stuff like that. You know, he was their team, teammate of some of those guys last year. I will say, I, I've brought this up multiple times before now, but, like, Kevin Arnovitz on Zach Lowe's podcast in the fall preview in the season said this team, like, when they found out that Dwight got traded to the Hornets, there were, like, text messages exchanged between teammates, people that worked for the team, you know, celebrating this guy's departure. Um, whether that, I mean whether that's true or not, who knows? But like Arnovitz, who's as plugged in with that team as you'll find any reporter in the NBA, he was reporting on that on Lowe's podcast, so I'll I'll, I'll believe him. That's for sure. And um, you know, I I didn't I was obviously watching the the Fox Sports South feed with Eric and Dell last night, but my buddy he was in Chicago, he was streaming on League Pass and had the Hawks feed on and just said Bob Rathburn and Dominique Wilkins were just trashing Dwight <laughs> for, like, big stretches of the game. Um, I don't think he necessarily left a uh, a good vibe around the team in Atlanta, although for whatever, for whatever it seems, you know, there are plenty of people around the Hornets that seem to be very positive about Dwight, including the broadcasters and including what seems to be a big chunk of the fan base. But I'm just going off on what I see and what the numbers show, too. And yeah, it's a guy that is not a winning player, even when he's out on the court with guys like Kemba Walker and MKG. Who, when those guys play, Charlotte, um, Charlotte is elite on both ends of the court. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's it. it could, you just you wish Zeller was out there because you know what this team looks like with a healthy Cody Zeller. And from from my eyes and what the stats say, it, the team is just better and more fluid with with Cody out there as opposed to Dwight.
3: There's no denying it, uh, and I have no doubt that White has made efforts and strides right. to become a more team guy. And you know, and I, and I don't, I don't know, I don't think he's been this cancer in the locker room this year. The point is, he just said make the team better. But yeah, um, okay, I think we pretty much covered it, in it on this game. Anything else, BG? You want to point out?
2: Nah, on the Hawks game. Nah, I'm ready to. You know, good win against a bad team. Uh, let's not overreact too much to it.
3: Yeah, yeah, please, please no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a terrible Hawks team and a terrible Kings team. So yeah. those are the last two wins we just talked about. Uh, real quickly, and then we'll move on to some chemistry talk and other things. The uh, month of January, the Hornets are 7-4. and four. Since the new year, they've certainly been better. Schedule has definitely softened up mm-hmm. uh, for them. But some quick numbers here. Charlotte, uh, 109.5 offensive rating uh, in the month of January. That's 6th in the league. 104.3 defensive rating. That's good for ninth. So it's top 10 offense and defense in the month of January. And then 100.9 pace uh, during the month of January for the Hornets. That's good for seventh. So, you know, again, the schedule has certainly softened, but they're doing some better things here uh, during this stretch. Now they can get ready to go on the road for three straights. Mm-hmm. We'll see if it continues, but some good signs for the Hornets. All right, let's jump in uh, on some Kemba trade talk here, BG. Jordan came out earlier in the week and yeah, he, he called the observer, the Charlotte Observer, which yeah. we understand. Yeah. He pretty much had some uh had some comments about this Tim trade uh talk. So I will read out some of his uh quotes here. Uh yes, it's disappointing where we are, Jordan said, but I haven't given up on the season. Um, or you know, reacting to him is saying he would be devastated if the Hornets Traded him, Jordan says. Obviously, the season has been disappointing so far. There have been teams asking about players. Also, we've been asking about players, Jordan said. Uh, we ask teams who they like on our roster, and they always say Kimba. Um, it's not like we are shopping. It's not like we are shopping him. We would not just give him up. I love Kimba Walker. I would not trade him for anything. And here it comes but an all-star player. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and so. It's like, wait a minute. So you won't trade him, or you just won't trade him for the right package, which we already knew.
2: Yeah, I, that that thing made me think of man, San Antonio. Please offer me Kawhi Leonard for for Kemba Walker. Like, I would yeah. love to trade you Kemba Walker for Kawhi Leonard. And mm-hmm. um, it, it just I thought those comments. I mean, if I'm Kemba, they don't. I, I don't feel you know any more. You know, maybe I'm sure he and MJ have t- had their own conversations on the side he doesn't have to just, like, read the tea leaves of what MJ's saying to the local media or whatever. But um, I don't know, man. If, if I were just, if, if I were Kemba and I were just hearing that, that wouldn't make me feel necessarily more reassured that I'm not going to be moved. I mean, I, I don't think you were I think Kemba's going to be traded before the deadline and uh, for, for a variety of reasons. But I just thought it, those comments were just, they were just so strange because it was like, he was basically saying, yeah, we're not going to just give Kemba away. And it was like, it, the thing is, of course you will I mean, it, you didn't need to come out and say, we're not going to give away our only asset that's worth a damn for nothing. I mean, of course, if you're going to trade Kemba, you expect the return to be high. You, it's a, some picks or an all-star player or whatever. But he just, I, I just think, I didn't think that cleared the air at all. I think that's, if you sort of have a general understanding of how these things work, you would probably assume that the asking price for Kemba would be pretty high. Maybe he was trying to say, you know, we, we're not just using Kemba to get rid of one of these bad contracts. Like, maybe that's what MJ was sort of trying to clear out, which is, hey, we're not use, just going to use Kemba and his good deal and his, his market uh, value and the demand for a plus guard like him to just shed Nick Batum's contract. Like, maybe that's what he was trying to say. But, uh, yeah, I, just thought, I thought it was just such a weird way for that information to get out. Um, going yeah. through the local beat reporter, and um, yeah, I just thought it was just an interesting, an interesting way for for that information to uh, disperse.
3: Yes, uh, I would agree. I think if you're Jordan, the situation—if these are the comments you're going to make, then just don't say anything at all. I mean, you told us what we already knew. You know, any educated fan that understands a little bit about the business side knows that Charlotte's in a terrible situation with Cap. Him is. Potential, well, not potentially, he is the only way to possibly get out of that situation and create some kind of flexibility moving down the road, so like, yeah, I mean, we get it, uh, I mean, anyway, so, just, per usual with this team, from a PR standpoint, super confusing, and just yeah. like, I don't understand why I got out in the first place, but then, like, this is, this is what you have to say, I, like you said, BG, if you're Kimball Walker,
2: I just thought last weekend, in general, was just the the message, the way it gets leaked out, the the forty eight hours of time from it getting out Friday morning to Sunday night, this exclusive interview interview Michael Jordan does with Rick Fennell, it was just it it just didn't seem like it was it was handled the it was just a little clunky. That's all.
3: definitely yeah, definitely a little clunky, and yeah, sometimes you can't <laughs> it's hard to get a feel that the team is using the sometimes it feels like the team is using the observer to paint you know a positive picture and then other times it feels like (laughs) you know it's the exact opposite yeah anyways we won't go into detail now but very confusing um so like i'm just gonna pose this question real quick let's try to just throw out that the the most realistic scenario let's pretend that kimball walker is trading okay um what, who is the best trade partner for the Hornets?
2: So you and I have discussed this a lot. Mm-hmm. I still sort of think it's the Indiana Pacers, just in mm-hmm. terms of how they can match salary, uh, in terms of what their books look like, in terms of where they are as a franchise that's trying to win now and will also be trying to win again next year um, with the deals they currently have on the books, in terms of the assets that they can part ways with, picks, young players salaries to match Kemba I just think they make a lot of sense although it will be interesting because the Hornets play the Pacers twice in the next couple of weeks leading into the deadline but I think in terms of the way things sit on the books and the way of assets that they could part ways with but also not give up their best players like Victor Oladipo or Miles Turner or you know maybe Sabonis whatever unless you think he's part of the deal somehow but I just think they make the most sense. They're not the only team, but I think they're the team that makes the most sense in terms of a viable trade partner for the Hornets with regard to Kemba Walker.
3: Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I think the other team that I'll mention just for the sake of um, of difference and argument here would would be Utah. I actually think Utah can put together... And I wasn't... You know, I was kind of talking to this on Twitter earlier in the week. I thought it was Indiana, but I think Utah can actually together a better package for kimba Mm -hmm. i think it's tougher for them because you know you might have to find rubio would have to go somewhere i would think like at that point you gotta trade him you have rubio donovan mitchell and Kimba. like i I don't i don't know how that works um and then you know favors Derek favors i feel like maybe in that case like if you're charlotte i I don't i mean you'll take him i guess but i think you'd want to find a third team for him i mean Mm -hmm. he's an unrestricted free agent I don't think the Hornets, like, if they made that trade with Utah and take him out, that they'd be super interested in, <clears throat> you know, having his bird rights and, you know, going into the no. open market as an unrestricted free agent. So, But, I mean, look, Utah has a lot of interesting pieces. They've got the expiring contracts that you need. Um, they've got a Rodney Hood player who will be a restricted free agent this summer that I think would be interesting for, like, Charlotte could re-sign Hood to some kind of deal, I think, and also rebuild if they're able to get off, you know, marvin and i don't know Batum or one of the other with kimba or howard you know if they're able to get off one of the big contracts maybe two in that deal like now you can re-sign hood potentially moving forward you have full rights on him and also rebuild you know what i mean like yeah those those two things can kind of be synonymous and so i think he would be probably in an indiana deal or a utah deal like rodney Hood would be the piece that probably tips the scale in utah's direction
2: yeah i think that makes sense and and there's like the the duke north carolina connection that you have with hood too that this team seems to value a little bit as well too but i think hood and again he doesn't do a ton other than score but he is a really good scorer and he can shoot threes he can stick jumpers off the dribble run pick and roll uh he he is a very good young offensive player uh and a guy that i got to play a lot up close uh at duke uh, about four years ago when he was a redshirt sophomore there but uh this was Utah was one of the other teams when you Richie and I ran through hypothetical trade scenarios last month. The Pacers and the Jazz were the two teams that actually I brought up during that exercise. Mm-hmm. A because Utah's really struggled with Rubio on the floor this year. He was great last night uh, in the game, the game they had, but um they've been better offensively with Ricky Rubio off the court, and um, that's tough because you were sort of pulling for Rubio this year. He's had some. Tough off the court issues happen, and you wanted to see it go well for him, but it just really it's not, not been a shining season uh, for the Jazz with him, and it just seems like they're ready to turn the keys over more to Donovan Mitchell. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why it makes sense because they'd like to find ways to, um, you know, get more more playing time for Donovan Mitchell or someone else at point guard that's not named Ricky Rubio. I don't know what they want to do with Rodney Hood. And so I think they'd like to almost, I think they'd be happy to sort of just like punt on the restricted free agency decision on Rodney Hood to someone else. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think they, yep. I just don't think, I don't know where they stand on him. I think at the right number, they'd be happy to bring him back and he could be a part of the, the, the younger wave with Mitchell and Gobert and stuff. But I just think they'd be very willing to say, you know what, someone else, you guys make that decision. Um, in, in on similar to favors, to be totally honest with you, who I think, just based off what I've read from guys like Zach Lowe and stuff, they're sort of, they're they're sort of done trying to the favors Gobert experiment. I mean, it's been interrupted by a bunch of injuries and stuff, but I think they would be all for this, because um, Kemba helps them win now. Yeah, and he they get him for another year, and I mean Utah would be a dangerous team, 2018, 2019 with Donovan Mitchell, Kemba Walker, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert. Um, and all of their their spacier stretch forward guys. Plus, they've got other con- like they've got other contracts to match. Joe Johnson is another salary that's expiring that, that you could throw in in this deal if you needed to yep. to to make stuff line up. And I mean, it would it would be a pain to see Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell play together in Utah. And that's a scary sight if you're a supporter of the Hornets. The thought of those two guys, what the backward you could have had in Charlotte teaming up in Salt Lake City. But, um, yeah, that's just the reality that the, the Jazz could offer a pretty good package in return. The only thing with your Utah, you probably think we're not going to get Kemba back after 2019 when he becomes an unrestricted ex- agent. But maybe, you know, I think he's one of those guys. Maybe. He could probably be happy yeah. just about anywhere, uh, I mean, especially think, if they're good. But
3: Yeah, you know. yeah, you have a lot to pitch there for Utah. I mean, playing with Rudy mm-hmm. Gobert. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think in a deal, you know, a theoretical deal where Kemba's going to Utah, I think Marvin Williams is involved in that. He yeah. Gives Utah that spacey four that they need mm-hmm. uh, to kind of complete that four out with, with uh, or just that the, the offensive orbiting around Gobert, especially um, with it,
2: Cephalosha hurt now too. Like they're yeah. they're sort of they're yeah. sort of down one of those stretchier forward type guys.
3: Yeah, so I you know I think Marvin would be included in that deal, and I, and again I mean I think that's good for Charlotte. Like they they want to get off that contract. They love Marvin, but that's just a you know a, yeah. a deal with three years remaining that you're like oh yeah if you take this off our hands, and now we're really talking about this trade. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, I I think it is, I think it's Indiana and Utah. I mean, as we stand here today, uh, again, less than two weeks from the trade deadline, uh, we'll see if noise goes down, uh, or if it kicks back up here as we get into next week. But I think those are two very obvious trade targets, uh, as of right now. And the other thing to watch, I would say, I don't really want to get into conversation about it, but it looks like this Cleveland, uh, Sacramento, George Hill, uh, trade that was definitely supposed to happen has all of a sudden hit yes. a little bit of a, a roadblock so I, I, I have to imagine that it's all hands on deck in cleveland right now uh, trying to figure out how to get back the best possible player in their last ditch effort to, to convince lebron james to stick down after this year and i gotta think they're calling charlotte huh? yeah so.
2: yeah i think i think you have to you, you gotta think that You know, only if the Cavaliers didn't have a first-time GM trying to make these moves. I mean, you could have had David Griffin come back, but alas, the Cavaliers, if nothing else, they are dramatic and and good on offense, too. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. What's interesting, if I'm Charlotte, though, if they start poking around about Kemba, like if if Kobe Altman's calling me, if I'm Rich Schoen, Kobe Altman's calling me. Dude, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm driving as far as I possibly can at that Brooklyn pick. Um, yeah. No because cause here's my – because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Like, if I'm the Cavaliers, what do I do with that pick? What do I do? What do I do? For the longest time, I've thought, they can't trade that. That's the insurance policy if, when, LeBron leaves, which we, I think you and I probably both think he's gone after this year. That's how they start the rebuild. But now – and again, I wouldn't trade that pick if I were Cleveland. I wouldn't do it. I'd hold on to it. But I'm starting to come around a little bit more to the notion that maybe you should try to trade it, especially yeah. if you get a guy like Kemba Walker. Just hear me out on this. is giving them about a 5% chance of winning the title. Um, here's the reality of the situation. They're, once LeBron leaves, it's going to be a long time before the Cavaliers get anywhere close to a 5% chance of winning a title like it's gonna be a while and the other note with that is it's never gonna be this good again in Cleveland like I'm sorry Cavaliers like I hope you enjoy the 2016 title because Mm -hmm. it's net you're never gonna have LeBron he's the best player of all time you're never gonna have him ever again he's never coming back and it's a bit short-sighted but if you think along those lines and think we need to maximize this year as much as humanly possible. Like, no matter what, after this year, we're going to have to rebuild. It's going to be a multi-level, multi-year rebuild, whether we have that Brooklyn pick or not. Yeah. Um, And if we can trade for Kemble Walker or Superstar X, Y, of which, you know, name me who that player is. Like, it's not DeMarcus Cousins now, after he, unfortunately, is out for the rest of the year. And I mean, I don't think he was going anywhere anyways because – New Orleans was sort of starting to really develop chemistry between he and Davis, and they were playing good basketball. But if you can tell me, if I'm the Cavaliers and a trade for another superstar takes me from a 5% chance of winning the title to 8%, 9%, 10%, whatever my analytics department is telling me, don't you have mm-hmm. to do it? Because it, yeah, yeah. wins the next time you're going to have a 10% chance of winning the title? And I get that there's yeah. risk involved, and it's going to make the rebuild harder. But all I'm saying is, like, I, I think there's a way you can spin this, that they need to be a little more liberal with how they sell that pick. I, I don't think they're going to do it, and if I were them, I wouldn't trade it. But, yeah. I mean, maybe Kemba Walker moves the needle enough that makes Kobe Altman think, hey, we got to go all in on this year, and yeah. screw it, we'll start over in 2018.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I get the train of thought there. I don't necessarily disagree with it. I'm with you. I wouldn't do it. Um, You know, I I get a little bit, BG, a little bit bit conflicted on the train of thought of, like, treating LeBron James as God, if that makes sense. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's kind of what, like, the the train of thought is here. I mean, look, he's the best player on planet Earth. He has been for a long time. He will continue to be probably for a few more seasons. But, like, I, I think that at the same token, it would be a healthy thought exercise for Cleveland to not think that way. Um, Like, I don't know that he's going to be back regardless of who you trade for. Like, there's no player available right. at the deadline that's going to keep him in Cleveland. So I actually would be pretty conservative with that pick. And and, well, and here's the other thing. Like, they might end up dealing that pick because that pick doesn't even look like that great yeah. right Yeah. It's like eighth or ninth, yeah. you know? Yeah. And Brooklyn has no incentive. Well, Brooklyn has a little bit of incentive to get worse. I mean, if they can take on bad money at the trade deadline yeah. and get an asset, like, mm-hmm. maybe that makes them worse. But Good point. You know, but, like, I don't know – I don't even know that that pick is going to be so good that, like, it's like, oh, how do we part ways with it? You know what I mean? So yeah. that could make the decision for them. But if I were Cleveland, I'd be very careful with this. Like, I mean, I, I get it. Like, win is kind of on this thing right now where it's like, oh, but you'll never have this opportunity again. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, wait a minute. You don't know that, number one. And number two, like, I don't think that's the healthy way to really approach it. That, that's, like, you, you, you yeah. still have to build a team regardless right. of – you know what I mean? Like that's your job. It doesn't matter that LeBron James is right. here now or, or getting ready to walk out the door. Like your job is to build a team and your job is, is to be the, the smartest in doing that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I mean, again, I completely understand your point. I just don't I don't know. I, I would I would tend to probably be a little bit more conservative with that. But that's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right, right there, with
2: there with you. Like if I were them, I'm not flipping like I wouldn't like this pick, even though you said like it, it might only be eight or nine or whatever. Um it is funny to think of Spencer Dinwiddie having this career year and him just ruining lives amongst Cavalier fans (laughs) and (laughs) personnel people like that's the NBA is ridiculous for a variety of reasons that being another (laughs) another one of them that Rondé Hollis Jefferson and Spencer Dinwiddie are just ruining the Cavaliers rebuild by being (laughs) noticeably better this year than they have in years
3: past setting them back two decades it's just it's
2: ridiculous but I'm with you like I wouldn't move off this pick if I were the Cavaliers like the reason why we think we won that well, in the Kyrie trade, which is looking like less and less of the scenario, like less and less of the uh, uh you know, the reality because he's been so good and Boston's been so good, right. but because we had this pick and this allowed us to get Isaiah Thompson, get Jake Crowder, and help us win now while we'll also sort of hedge against the future with this Brooklyn pick, and if that's the way I felt four months ago, damn it, like I don't, I can't just back off that right now because. Yeah. Things are, you know, it's dramatic and people are sniping at one another. I mean, you probably saw some of the clips from last night in the Indiana game with Kevin Love, you know, throwing his warm up at, at uh at Jeff Green and sarcastically handing the rebound off to Isaiah Thomas. I mean, but as bad as that is, as bad as it looks, yeah, I think I would still hesitate to move that pick because again, it's it's going to be, it's going to be what I use to sort of restart the rebuild and um, but. You know, maybe if you're the maybe if so maybe if you are the Hornets and the Cavaliers come talking to you, maybe you can't get that Brooklyn pick, but maybe you can at least get, you know, Cleveland's first round pick, which won't be good, most likely. But um uh, but there there's some other ways you can sort of like build a hypothetical trade for Kemba to Cleveland that, that makes some sense for both teams. But like we sort of discussed, I think Utah and the Pacers make the most sense. Yeah,
3: agreed. Um all right good stuff there so next week we're gonna jump into a little malik monk talk which is Mm -hmm. probably a little overdue and then cody zeller around a week and a half two weeks from what should be his return so we'll kind of talk about next week how that will affect the playing grooves who steps out of the lineup um you know does that the the elephant in the room zeller's you know is, is is he healthy enough to finish games and what does that do to dwight and All that good stuff. So we'll talk about that next week. Let's get to a few Twitter questions real quick before we go. BG, uh, the first... Actually, we're just going to take one Twitter question this week. I think this one's a pretty good one. Um, If you could upgrade... This is from the British Buzz. So at British underscore buzz. If you could upgrade one spot in the Hornets rotation, uh, assume Zeller is healthy, who would it be? It's strange as the team is struggling, but it feels like individually a lot of people are having improved years uh I mean I to me it's easy I mean backup point guard uh you know Michael yeah. Carter Williams that spot I mean I think that it's been the sore um the sore thumb for Charlotte for a few years now so I think that's the easy answer to me
2: yeah I, I agree backup backup point guard it's got to be it's just it's got to be it's got to be the the most obvious choice and it's clear that they didn't nail down this spot in free agency um the shooting of Michael Carter Williams has been uh I mean, it's, it's been a disaster this year. And actually, I looked this up this morning. Of guys that have played at least 500 minutes this season in the NBA, Michael Carter-Williams, dead last in terms of effective field goal percentage. Um, he's not hitting from anywhere on the field. 16% from the mid-range, 25% on above the break threes, and only about 41% in the restricted area. I mean, it's just it's a dead zone. From everywhere on the court, and he suffocates the offense every time he's out there. He's playing hard. He's playing good defense, but man, offensively, it, it's just sort of amazing to see what happens to this team when Kemba Walker sits, and you know, MCW is the, you know, is the lone point guard out there.
3: I mean, you're you're literally um, downgrading to a to a G League player when yeah. Kemba sits, and it's just you know you can't again. I mean, we talked about earlier in the show like you. He can't be in the game mm-hmm. with five minutes to go. I just I don't care who you're playing if it if it's a close game you got to have Kimba out there and if not then just have Batum and Lamb out mm-hmm. there you know taking the ball handling duties. But it's it's been a brutal stretch for the Hornets experimenting with with backup point guard for the past few seasons and uh and it you know it is certainly limited uh, this team amongst other things injuries but uh, but yeah it's a shame. It's a shame because you have one of the best point guards in the league and then that's what you get coming off the bench.
2: One, of, one other note with MCW. So when Kemba Walker plays over 1,500 minutes this season, the Hornets are plus 193 points. Uh, with Michael Carter-Williams on the court, the, uh, the Hornets are minus 76 in 564 minutes this season. Um, in minutes with MCW on the court and Kemba Walker off the court, 494 minutes this season the hornets are minus 82 points they're actually plus they're plus six and 69 minutes with kemba and mcw on the court together but when it's just mcw and again he's not surrounded by a lot of talent and that matters too on those second units but yeah it's just the drop-off there's nothing like it in the nba amongst any other star player that when they sit team craters as much as when Kemba does in yep. a big part of that is because his backup is below replacement level
3: yeah yeah and that that's something that wasn't brought up um you know in the all-star I mean you know I'm, I don't get really into the all-star voting process but that just wasn't brought up with mm-hmm. Kemba I thought enough is like how much worse this team is when he's off the floor and, and that is to say like worse, worse than anybody else in yep. the entire NBA so I mean there's a lot of chatter about that kind of stuff but like for whatever reason it wasn't brought up with Kemba's name I mean I don't I don't know that he was really deserving of the all-star game this year, an all-star spot, but right. that that's worth no with Kimba. Mm-hmm. Um So, all right, good stuff, BG. Um, I think we've, I don't know how long we've gone, but it feels like a while. So yeah. and we could still go for a few more hours. Yeah, no doubt. Got to get out of here. Um, You're going over to Cameron Indoor yeah. to see the big game today?
2: Yeah, keep an eye for me. I'll be uh, press row, close to midcourt, uh, across from uh, the Virginia bench, actually. So, nice. I'll be able to stare into Tony Bennett's dreamy eyes from uh, about 50 feet away. So keep an eye for me. I'll be wearing uh, team neutral colors and looking like a moron with the uh, Cameron crazy He's right behind me.
3: There you go. Just wear your, um, just wear your Dwight Howard jersey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, what I need to do is I need to get a BuzzBeat sweatshirt, and I need there to wear go. that on press row. I need to get us that exposure on, on a nationally televised game. I blew it by not doing that, honestly.
3: That, that's all right we'll get you one there'll yeah. be other opportunities all right good stuff my friend go enjoy it big game today check yep. that out look for bg on press row as the cavaliers the second rank cavaliers mm-hmm. travel to durham to take on the fourth rank duke blue devil should be a good one uh all right uh for me that's B, that's bg uh ricky will be back next week this was episode 52 of buzzbeat radio thank you very much for listening make sure to connect with us uh on twitter uh brian real quick your yeah. twitter handle
2: uh at bird at B-G-E-I-S underscore bird. Um, it's probably time for me to uh, to change that change that up. I made it my junior year of college. So, yeah, probably time for me to, to improve that. Um, and just quick shout-out, Richie. We missed you too, buddy, and looking forward to having you back next week.
3: Absolutely. Second that. I'm at QCH Spencer on Twitter. We are at BuzzBeat on Twitter um, for buzz again that was episode 52 we are a proud member of the almighty baller radio network so make sure you check them out almightyballer.com and then our good friends at sports 8.com a lot of acc basketball going on there they are your one-stop shop uh, for the coverage there at sports channel 8 on twitter all right until next week that's brian i'm spencer go Hornets.